Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. It is Sunday, August 30th. Today represents another milestone. We're hitting episode 70. Today's guest is Caitlin Donaldson, who is an extraordinary young woman. As a matter of fact, she is the youngest person to be a guest here on the Wedding Wisdom Podcast. Uh, I met her when she was working with Jennifer Sabinski, and she is now with Brian Raffinelli of Raffinelli Events, certainly two of the most creative, artistic, innovative people in the business. So she is definitely learning from the best. She talks about her journey, knowing that she's wanted to be an event planner since her sweet 16. So let's jump right into my conversation with the absolutely delightful Caitlin Donaldson. We met when I had Jennifer Sabinski on. Last June. It was last June. I remember it. I was leaving and Caitlin calls me in the back office and says, you know what? You should call these, these couple of people right here. And she wrote down the names and the phone numbers. I can't remember who it was that you connected with. Right. I think Andrea Freeman was one of them, right? And she's been on the podcast twice now. That's right. Great. I love her. Yeah, she's amazing. She has so much to, to contribute and to offer. And I've learned so much from her too. We've gone out to dinner a few times. She's been great in answering a lot of my questions. So you're on a journey. Join the journey. Hashtag all the best moments. <laughs> all, the, all the best moments. Great title for your blog. I'm going to put a link to it. I want everyone to subscribe to it and check it out. It's beautifully, it's beautifully laid out. We have to give a shout out to Sarah Ditterline. So funny. My sister, who's three years younger than me, went to college with Sarah. They both just graduated this past May, virtually, of course. And her work just stood out so much to me. She's a very talented graphic designer. Tell everybody what we're talking about. Right. Oh, of course. So I have, <laughs> <laughs> I have these um, fashion illustrations on all the best moments that showcase different aspects of what comprises the blog. So one is an event planner, and that's for the event planning page, which you know explains to my audience what type of tools they need to access, resources to use, um, how-tos, guides to streamline the wedding and event planning process. The long black dress. Totally. And she's carrying a clipboard and she's on a walkie-talkie with a secret service mic in on her ear. And so that really, I mean, it's a picture of me on site working an event, like in a power mom's hair up, like trying to get to the next transitional moment. So and now I feel like I have my own like Lizzie McGuire cartoon to go inside with each moment that I'm kind of, you know, facilitating now through the blog. So it's great. Okay. So you just, you just celebrated your 25th birthday and you've already worked for Jennifer Zbinski. I did. You're now working with Brian Raffinelli. Yes. I have. Yeah. So I, I graduated um, from Endicott College in 2017. And during that time, I went all in. I did 10 internships. I joined networking associations. I tried to get as much on-site real-world experience as I could because really in events, theory is great in the classroom. You know, I studied at a school of hospitality management with a concentration in events. So all of the classes were geared toward that field. All right. So, so back up for a sure. second. So you, you knew you wanted to do this in high school? I was, yeah. I mean, I say it all the time um, and it's cliche, but it's true. I'm so fortunate to have known what I wanted to do so early on. I was planning my 16th birthday. My parents very graciously offered to throw me a sweet 16. And so I took them right up on that. And I was working with the venue and the caterer and the entertainment company. I started writing a guest list of 200 plus people and they were like, bring it down. 
(laughs) And the more that I started working with all of these different event partners, you know, I soon started to realize like this could be a job. And that was my first introduction into the world. All right. So you use a lot of terms. Your old boss, Jennifer, yelled at me for using the term vendor (laughs) and party planner. Right. But we use these phrases and we know what they mean, but we should, people should understand. Sure. So I think of an event as a puzzle piece. You mentioned Jennifer Zabinski and and I learned so much from her in the two and a half years that I was with her. Um, And so every piece of the puzzle comprises the bigger picture, what you see as this magnificent event at the end of a lot of hard work loading in. Mm -hmm. And so each piece of the puzzle is equally as important. Nothing can be done without the other piece. It won't create this beautiful picture. So whether it's your lighting provider, your entertainment company that you're working with for your band or for your DJ, if it's your designer or your florist that you're working in tandem with, a rental company, any of these pieces are vital to creating the end product. And so to me, they're not vendors. The term I think more appropriately is event partners because we all rely on one another in order to create something beautiful. I think that'll officially be the verbiage that I will use. Event partner. So it's perfect. Right. Endicott College. Tell me about that. So Endicott's in Beverly, Massachusetts. It's about 40 minutes outside of Boston on the North Shore. So in looking for a school, I found it difficult to find a college that would offer a hospitality management program, let alone something in events. There's a lot of colleges now that offer hospitality, but perhaps they focus in restaurants or hotels. And I knew events specifically is the niche that I wanted to go into. Mm -hmm. So Endicott offered a hospitality program and events concentration. I ended up minoring in communications. For me, it was a perfect fit. Oh, yeah, that's perfect. Right. They had an internship program that was built into the academic criteria for graduation. So each student is required to complete three internships by the time that they graduate. So two 120 hours and then one semester long internship. Wow. Right. And that's when I first started working for Jennifer was as an intern for three weeks in the January of, I think it was my sophomore year in college and learned so much from her. And so when it came time to circle back, I was like, this is a place that I could see myself working. Now, Jennifer does large, large events. She's most known for doing Serena Williams' wedding. Right. That was like a three-day affair. And were you around for that? I was. It was an amazing experience. I know, I think Jennifer in her podcast, you had mentioned at the very end, you said, are you impressed that I didn't ask anything about Serena's wedding? So (laughs) I'll have to leave the fifth to that one. But it was an incredible experience. It was such a talented team of event partners that came on site. I learned so much. and See, now we all know what event partners means. Exactly. So what are you doing now with Brian? So now I'm a production manager. I'm doing a little project with Brian. Did you know? Are you? I didn't know. No. When is it? The Biden victory campaign. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I love that you're heading so tell me about what you're doing with Brian and what you're doing with the blog and how you're mixing the two. I think in March, like many other people in hospitality as a whole, I found myself with so much more time than I had remembered having in years. So 
you know, coming from a background of not only working. Probably ever. Probably ever. Right. There's never been a break of that type of portion. And so, you know, not only was I not working events on weeknights or weekends, I wasn't attending networking events. I wasn't going to grab coffee with someone after work to chat about the newest endeavors of their company or how we could work together for upcoming events. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in that interim, I said, I have to, I have to do something. I can't sit here and wait for the foreseeable future to go back to normal. Um, And I'm so glad that I made that decision when I did. So I started researching, okay, if I want to pour a lot of time into a creative hobby, that would allow me to focus my time and energy on something that was productive and definitely in the event realm, but still something that felt like it was personal to me and to who I am and my interests. What would that look like? And, you know, long and behold, it became a blog and I worked on it for five months, not having any knowledge of what it would look like to build a website or HTML or CSS code for the site or designing it. I had no web design experience. I, I had worked for, you know, Jennifer in a dual role as an event planner and her executive assistant. So I had helped with the redesign of her website and, and that took about a year. So I had recalled from that experience, okay, this is definitely going to be something that I'm in for the long haul, but I had the time to do it. So why not? No, but you you got some practical information. You learned about fonts. You learned about the size of pictures, the, the amount of pixels. And I mean, SEO is a totally different ball game in a world that I had prior to this some knowledge of, but certainly not now to the depth um, and breadth that I am aware of. So even just trying to optimize the site for search engines to be able to find this content has been a journey, um, but one that I'm finding very enjoyable and very interesting. Can you explain SEO? So search engine optimization SEO is essentially how your website is viewed in the eyes of Bing or Google or Yahoo or any other search engine out there. So there's a ton of criteria that goes into what Google wants to put on the first, you know, five pages of their search engine. Right. And if it's not on the first page, why bother? Basically, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So everyone's really gunning for that first page, but you have to do what you can to make yourself more visible to readers. And so a lot of that is contingent on the title, you know, doing your keyword research and trying to find out what it is that people are trying to learn and how it is that they're typing it into a search engine. So you're not just saying, you know, something beautiful, like I did an article recently called Vintage Stamps, a Love Letter. No one's typing in Vintage Stamps, a Love Letter in <laughs> Google. I thought that it was a playful title. I loved it. I was like, I'm sticking with this. Yeah. But people might say how to use vintage stamps on a wedding invitation. It's just rephrasing things like that and putting it in your meta description on Google and making sure that you have image attribution. So trying to configure in a way that really does optimize it for those search engines to get it to that higher viewership on the first or second or third page. little quiz for you. If you type in wedding band, what do you think you're going to find on the first page? I would presume the not. <laughs> the not.com. Nope. What do you find? Jewelry companies. Wedding bands. It's totally up to interpretation. Yeah. I mean, who would think? You and I just had totally different concepts of what wedding band would be. I know. Give me some examples of what you use for SEO. 
And luckily there's tons of plugins. Like I'm using WordPress, for example, to host my site. Yeah, so too. there's plugins that I can utilize, as I'm sure you know, to be able to streamline that process. So it'll basically say, here's a checklist. It'll analyze your article. Does it, you know, comply with these criteria that will ultimately get you more readership and if not it'll let you know it'll give you a little frowny face and you're like oh <laughs> got to go back <laughs> a bit discouraging so you go back and you fix it until it's a little smiley face and it gives you the go ahead and you get a green light and you can publish it and have that safety net of knowing that you're not just putting out content but that you're putting out content that people want to read and that they're going to have access to finding right so you ask people to ask you questions um you see Jess Doherty? Jess. She's a good friend of mine. She's also the founder of the True Date Project, which is working with couples that have had to reschedule their weddings or cancel them due to the pandemic to link them with photographers so that they can have a shoot to celebrate the true date that they were intended to be married. So it's kind of an ode to the fact of, you know, you might go nine months to two years of thinking that you're planning this wedding for a specific date and it it becomes significant to you it becomes meaningful to you and she wanted to celebrate that so it's not forgotten and so you get all of this you know gorgeous footage of the date that you were intended to be married on um so it's something special that the, the couple can commemorate that date for that's a so, great idea of thinking idea. thinking outside the I'm box <laughs> yeah that's brilliant right. And exactly what people needed during that time. But yes, she's a good friend of mine. We went to Endicott College together. All right. Let's define the term micro weddings. The way I would define it is, I guess, pretty obvious. Like if someone was going to have 200 guests and now have 15. Right. It's a micro wedding. (laughs) Right. I think it's something within the parameter of what is currently being advised by government officials, depending on your region. So if that means that it's 50 people and under, if that means it's 20 people and under, if that means it's 10, you know, back when we were initially starting to slowly reopen and enter phase one, phase two, that would have been, you know, more along the lines of like 15 people at max capacity. Right. I think it's contingent on, you know, what you can work within those boundaries. I remember Ryan back in February, March, when we were starting to really see the impact that COVID would have on, you know, hospitality and events specifically, he was saying like, let's just, you know, take it back for a second from the first touch point that a guest might experience at a venue or at a tented wedding, when you're driving up in your car and you hand it over to valet to park for you, like that is the first guest interaction with a staff member. So everything from like, are they wearing a mask to are they changing their gloves every time that they enter the car to are they purelling the you know steering wheel? Are they using a wipe? Who's touching the wipes? Like there's so many little you know, micro details that go into the guest path and the transitions that they're making throughout the course of an event. Um, And, you know, that's not even factoring in like guests just being all in one place. It's also everything that they're touching. So all of these things have to be reimagined. That's what we're doing at restaurants, right? If we're going to dine, even if it's outdoors and the tables are six feet apart, for example, and you're walking in with your mask on, you sit down, you take your mask off, you're server is still wearing a mask 
and they're still handing you plates or your glass or a new set of cutlery or a napkin. And so inherently you're touching all of these things. You're still breathing the same air. They're now exposed because you're not wearing a mask. So there's, there's a lot that needs to be accounted for. And I think sometimes we forget because we want to be able to like just go back to how things were prior and enjoy the company of family and friends um, and indulge in that experience. But at the end of the day, we have to prioritize, right? What really matters. What do you foresee happening? Let's say by the spring, we get the go ahead to reopen weddings. And, and mind you, this is what we all do for a living. So we, you know, we all have a vested interest in this happening. So do you see them being these big joyous parties or do you see them shrinking people getting used to only smaller gatherings? I think it'll depend on, you know, how the media is of course portraying um, the most recent news and status of, um, of cases within your given region. You know, what's interesting about New York is that we're not only talking about people being at an event, it's how they get there. So New York is one of the major hubs that people will travel to, to go to attend an event. So we're not just talking about being in the event environment itself. We're also talking about guest comfortability in getting there and how comfortable they might be in a space where, you know, perhaps 50% of the guests, give or take, needed to travel in some type of means of transportation very often, you know, it's public transportation or you're getting on an airplane in order to be a guest there. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to play a major role as well in, you know, are your friends and family coming from a place that's close by or are they needing to travel in order to attend your event? I know a lot of other states are very jealous that we have that we have Governor Cuomo. I mean, yes. He, he's done an, <laughs> truly done an amazing job. He has. He has. It's been, it's been impressive. And I, you know, I think the more that we all work together um, in a combined effort, the quicker that we're going to see results. Yeah. So yeah. it's a matter of all of us following those guidelines. Right. So tell me about this blog. Are you, are you getting, is it gratifying? Are you getting, are you getting feedback from it? Are you, tell me sure. how the journey's been. Yeah. So I launched it, um, just a couple of weeks ago, right? Yeah. It, it hasn't really been live for all too long, but the, feedback that I've gotten has been overwhelmingly positive, nothing that I would have imagined. I mean, I'm hearing from people that I haven't spoken with in years, um, you know, just catching up on the latest in your life. I had no idea that you were doing X, Y, Z, or that you've been to such and such place, or that you were able to offer this kind of um, insight into not only like the events world, but also into how I can plan an event, even if it's something small um, for family and friends at home. So it's been, it's been so positive. I loved the, the recent, most recent thing that I, I read in your blog, I, it was just laid out so perfectly. You were talking about going to the beach. Yeah. Wrote, you wrote it so well. The picture was so clear in my head. You were talking about champagne or wine and to use plastic glasses if possible instead of glass, obviously, so it doesn't break. Yeah. <laughs> and to chill it and to bring the char- charcuterie board, right. you know, keep it in the oven <laughs> with foil <laughs> over it until you're going to bring it, you know, really yeah. good details. Yeah, because I want it to be simple. I want it to be easy, you know, just because you um, can't go out and like 
go to an amazing concert or go out um, and perhaps have the same dining experience that you once had doesn't mean that you can't indulge in something special that life has to offer. So go to a beach, go to a park, be socially distant, pack a few things that will elevate a normal experience and make a night out of it. Have fun. There's so much that life has to offer that we can celebrate um, that doesn't need to be complicated. So get a good bottle of wine, rosé, champagne, prosecco, whatever it is that you like, go get some cheese and just go to the beach, have a night, watch the sunset, bring some music. So you're right. I mean, the sun is still rising and setting. The beach is still there. I hate to keep repeating this, but you're the youngest person I've had on. <laughs> so at 25, what do you foresee yourself? Do you see yourself as being an event planner or going in a different direction? Or do you see events going in a different direction? Are you? You know, I have so much to learn and I'm fortunate to have had the internship experiences that I did and to freelance for a few companies before settling down with Jennifer for a few years. And even in deciding to make that transition between Jay-Z events and Raffinelli events, it was really um, the decision to gain more exposure to something other than social and private and weddings. But, you know, Brian does 40, 45% nonprofit events. He does a lot of fundraising galas. And I know he's very politically involved, which is, which I love. Yeah. So I wanted to see that side. I needed to have a better understanding of that side of the events world and and be you know more versatile in my own skill set and increase my exposure to those things. I mean, it's amazing to see you know not even and Brian does amazing work. I was I've been working with him for I think eight months now. Technically, you know, I really had like three months of being in the office with his New York team um, and some of the Boston team as well, and doing events before the pandemic came around. So a short time. So Brian Raffinelli is one of the premier event planners in yes. the world. He is. He is amazing. Um, he is such a wise person. He's so humble. He has so much to offer his insight and attention to detail and his eye are in my mind, something that like I would just aspire to be able to, to take from and to take that perspective and apply it to future events. Like I'm always just listening and watching to when he's evaluating um, a presentation of the teams in order to take the next step and, you know, whatever direction that he determines is, is the priority um, or something that we need to refocus on. So He's such an inspiration. Um, you know, he's headquartered in Boston. New York um, is is equally now almost as big as the Boston office. Believe it or not, they were like right in the process of expanding during, um, you know, during the fall leading into winter um, of 2020 before this pandemic. <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> we're going to be telling our grandchildren about March 2020. So what makes a fundraiser different from a wedding? Um, I think, you know, it depends on what we're celebrating, right? Like a a wedding is in celebration of a couple, their journey, their marriage, and they're about to start this whole other chapter of their lives together. Whereas a fundraising event, we're striving to meet the mission of the organization and, you know, meet or exceed their fundraising goals. So it's much more strategy based in the sense of how are we going to have a... 
um, ideal and optimized ROI? How are we going to increase ticket sales? How are we going to embed fundraising efforts into the event, but, you know, make sure that it still represents the mission and the breadth of the organization, but also similar to weddings in some ways, because it's storytelling, there's a narrative, we want people to enter the event and transition and flow throughout the duration of the event in a way that represents what the reason is for being there. So if that's a wedding, it's, you know, here's how the ceremony is a coming together of the two people. And then at the end of the night, we're like celebrating that they're off to the next part of their lives. And at a fundraising event, it's, you know, here is why we are gathering today. And it's about raising funds for this amazing organization and people leave on a high for the same reason that they leave on a high at the end of a wedding. It's that you've just celebrated something amazing. So, Would you say that there's a challenge at mm-hmm. fundraising things? From the bandstand, my job is always the same, get people dancing whenever there aren't speeches. Mm-hmm. But from your perspective, from the, from the planning perspective, are there a lot of people that just buy tickets because, okay, we've decided that we're going to give to this charity and this political campaign and to give money and then they're putting on the tux just to show up? I would imagine that a lot of events could look very, very similar. I think people that attend fundraising events have a vested interest in the cause. They really, truly care about the mission of the organization and whether it's something that they were affected by directly or that they know someone who is affected directly, or if they just want to see a change in the way that things are being done, whether it's politically or otherwise. Um, they have a motivation of, of being there. And of course, there's always the, the perk of getting to network with like-minded people who care about the same things that you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the partners. Exactly. <laughs> with the partners. There's a lot of competition, though, isn't there? In terms of being invited to all of these different- Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of medical issues and then the political right. issues. And then, like, how do you stop them from being stayed, from being boring, from being run-of-the-mill? How do you make a fundraiser exciting? A lot of it is building anticipation prior to the event itself. And then a lot of it is experience-based marketing of the event that you're doing. So if people are being immersed into an environment where perhaps technology is playing a lead factor in how they're reaching their fundraising goals. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen at past events, attendees might each get a pair of virtual reality goggles, They'll put them on at a call to action moment, um, you know, prior to starting, let's say, a live auction, and they will be immersed into video content. They're transported into an area where they're in a village. They are not able to have access to water because it's a poor community and they need to fund the building of a new structure, whether that be for residents or for children to have education. So it's really taking all of these different missions and translating them into a way where people can say like, okay, wow, we're now I'm in the shoes of a person who might be living in this village. And that's really brilliant. I love that. Yeah. we, we play to those different factors and what will, what will ultimately help our client reach those fundraising goals. Okay, so let's just get down to the nuts and bolts for a second. Sure. You're saying virtual reality glasses. What's the guest list? Let's say it's 500. So you need 500 pair of virtual reality glasses. Someone has <laughs> yeah. to make the video that goes inside. So, so many people, it just, things magically happen. 
you know, there's a band out there and it's just to meet people, a bunch of people. And all of a sudden they all know, know the same songs and they play them great, <laughs> you know, or the flowers are just appear on the table or the lighting, mm-hmm. just the room for some reason just looks gorgeous. And you know that it's the lighting. It's the, when you said that my first reaction is, okay, tell me about the glasses. What do they look like? That's gotta be a very cool looking thing. I mean, that in itself makes the fundraiser more exciting. You know, of course, all of these different organizations, we're working within a budget. So it's, do you have the means of getting a videographer on the ground with a GoPro, for example, to, to make sure that when you're a guest and you're viewing that experience in a third world country, that you're really feeling as if, you know, it's your point of view. You're viewing yeah. the village or you're viewing the lack of water resources directly from the perspective of if you were there. So can we get someone there to record this? What kind of content do we need? What's the duration of the video? How long will it hold people's attention for before we need to like move into a call to action? And so we're thinking about all of those things. We're trying to get footage of maybe it's like first we're on the ground. What does the ground look like? Is it something where from the ground itself you can kind of position your mindset into saying like, okay, turning on the fact that I'm in a third world country, that I don't have access to XYZ resources. For example, I did um, an internship with Colin Cowie Celebrations. I freelanced for them a bit after graduation and they do an annual event for Ubuntu, which is I am because of you. So their oh, wow. mission, how beautiful is yeah, that? Yeah, that is beautiful. And so their mission is to provide funds and resources to third world countries. And I can't remember at that moment whom exactly it was for. This was going back. This must have been 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. So they used this virtual reality goggles, uh, you know, vehicle for getting their message across. And so attendees put them on, they were immersed into this third world country, they were able to see from the perspective of they were in that position. And then, you know, when they take them off, there's this call to action of maybe we have someone from that village come up and they speak about, you know, here's what Ubuntu did for me. And here's how they helped guide me to a place where now I have the means of pursuing my goals or pursuing additional education or access to healthcare. So it's really a matter of what is the vehicle for the message. And so if technology can do that, if a guest speaker can do that, um, we'll, we'll try to strategize what the best vehicle is to get that messaging across and make sure that we meet their fundraising goals. All right. So you've used the term call to action a bunch of times. Right. Now, just both of us just making, you know, websites, term call to action, you know, if you press a button on my first page, it says, all right, watch video. You know, that's what a call to action is to me. (laughs) Right. How are you defining call to action? Call to action to me from that perspective and Mm -hmm. and even from events is what will bring people, whether it's readers on the blog or guests at an event to do something. What angle do you want to approach it from? Is it, uh, you know, there's an incentive motivation for them. Is it, um, you know, not so much reward based what's in it for me, but what you can do for other people. So what is your call to action going to be that motivates people to get up and, and do whatever it is that you're trying to ask them to do. So donate money, read my blog. (laughs) Literally a call to action. Yeah. Literally a call to, to do something. Yeah. All right, so this, so someone has to make the decision of when you put the virtual reality glasses on, how mm-hmm. long that's going to be. Should it be five minutes, six minutes, three minutes, ten minutes? 
is there music in the background? You know, is there indigenous music of, you know, wherever it is? Right. All of those things play a role. And, and really at the end of the day, for the amount of footage that we might get, you know, someone's then editing it in the background. We're not just taking it, um, you know, as raw footage, it's, it's going to be compiled into an edited video. So that output might be a minute long. It's written into the script or the timeline of the events. So perhaps it's a few words from a keynote speaker, the prompt to put on the glasses, the glasses come off, everyone is in this state of, you know, hopefully empathy, and they are, you know, we're tugging at their heartstrings a bit. And we're saying, like, put yourself in the shoes of these people. And here's what we can do to help them you know, cue another speaker, and then we start a live auction. And people are really in that mindset of like, I need to help. They feel compelled to help. See, that's why I'm having you on. (laughs) I never would have thought of that. We're still trying to meet XYZ fundraising goals, but how can we make it feel new and different to your guests? Because we want them to not only attend this event, we want them to come back. We want them to tell their friends to donate. We want them to feel compelled to help this cause greater than the experience that they're having at the event itself. We want them to have this ongoing relationship with the organization. And you want them to get involved. Right. And we want them to get involved, whether that means donating or joining in a way that can benefit the organization for future growth with their own skill sets. You know, if we're sometimes it's not just looking for someone to donate during a silent or a live auction. Sometimes it's even just saying like, we need people on the board. We need executives. We need committee members to help drive vehicles for this cause to be able to reach the audiences that we're trying to make it reach. It's about innovation and and trying to find new and different ways to bring those messages to the guests. You know what I thought was really interesting about Brian is that he's been referred to me by a bunch of different people to to interview. I mean, going back to Norma Cohn, episode 40, I was on a Zoom call with this committee for the Biden thing. He multitasks like nobody I've ever seen. I mean, you would never know that he was an event planner. You know, he wasn't promoting himself. He wasn't talking about Raffinelli events. He wasn't talking about... Now, he might have gone from that Zoom call to talk to a wedding client or to talk to another fundraising thing that he's doing. I knew what he looked like. So I said, oh, that's Brian Raffinelli. Yeah. He's so passionate about um, about certain causes, that being one of them, of course. And when he is in that mindset, he becomes, and even during the event planning process, you know, just working for his company, he becomes almost like the embodiment of the event or of the mission or of the cause. Like he just wants to support it in any way that he can. It's not about him. It's about the mission. So what'd you do with Colin Cowie? Um, so I, I did an internship. That's where I started in their New York office. And But that's not so easy. Doesn't everybody want to get an internship with people like Jennifer Zabinski and I mean, you mentioning you know, Mount Rushmore people in this industry, you know, <laughs> yeah. Colin Cowie, David Beam, uh, Raffinelli, and Jennifer. Yeah, it's, I've only worked with David a few times when we were collaborating on events with Jennifer's company. Um, mm-hmm. But with Colin and with Brian and Jennifer, you know, it was a matter of like strategically networking, branding myself and my portfolio and resume in a way that would appeal to their clientele and caliber of events. And, and really like hospitality is all about who you know, right? Like the connections are everything. So like networking events and just like shooting someone an email blindly and being like, Hey, like I am a huge fan of your work and I would love to have the opportunity to speak with you on a call or shadow you at an event or volunteer. I was like, free work I'm in. (laughs) Like I just want the hands-on real world experience. Um, 
And I would welcome any experiences and opportunities that I got, you know, like a lot of the companies that we're not talking about that I first started my you know journey to. No, please feel, feel free to mention them. Yeah. You like it's, it's, you know, working for like a small DJ company. Like, you know, I worked for a company called like Groove Events. They were based a little bit out of Boston and I would kind of pop in and out here and there to help them with like social media. So it's, it's even small things like that. Like what could I do? to add value, get my foot in the door and just learn, like just watch you conduct a client meeting. And from that internship, I had experience then into like the entertainment world. So it's really, it was growing that foundation to be able to build up to those bigger players, um, which I'm yeah. so fortunate to work for now. You have to be able to speak to food and beverage and lighting and entertainment and floral, but you don't need to know everything that goes into it. If you can explain it to your client, that's great. And then rely on your event partners to be able to facilitate the rest of the communication. They're the experts. So, right, right. right. So, is Raffinelli Events still, how are they doing during the, how are you doing it during the pandemic? We saw the impact, I would say, even as early as February, a bit of concern growing from our client base. And so we had to implement a few things earlier on to help them feel more comfortable. But then I think when March came, that's really when we started to see events that were no longer just rescheduling, like they were canceling, they were done. We were looking back into the fall. And many of those events, like I said, Brian does a little less than half of his events are nonprofits and fundraising galas. So they shifted to virtual models. So we started transitioning the breadth of our work to be able to accommodate their fundraising goals in a way that was much different than they had done before and that we had done with them. But they can't just stop working towards their mission. Uh, So it was a matter of like, okay, how are we going to create this amazing experience for your guests on, you know, a fourth of the time that we would typically have them at an event and uh, and no drinks. (laughs) <laughs> and no drinks, right? <laughs> Unless, you know, there's so much, like, still, there's so much that you can do with a virtual event. And, you know, whether that's sending out an event in a box and it has a mini bottle of champagne or Prosecco and some little snacky things, or whether it is items that would represent the mission of the event, perhaps it is items from, you know, some of their clients or sponsors that we can put into the box that would represent the breadth of what they do and their mission, what they're trying to achieve. So a little... You know, you- you're saying this very casually. This to me is like brilliant. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you do that? I mean, yeah, how do you still serve those fundraising goals? Like, they can't stop striving toward reaching their mission um, or helping their clients or, you know, whatever it is that their their cause is for. So how can we bring an event to you as the guest to make you feel like you're still in this connected, immersive experience without necessarily leaving your house? So, <laughs> Not an easy thing to do. <laughs> no, no. But it's taught me so much. Like it's to even see that side of things shift has been so interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a lot of our, a lot of our fundraising clients switched to virtual models. You know, we couldn't stop striving towards their fundraising goals, like I mentioned, but a lot of our wedding and social clients, they either canceled or they rescheduled. So that's now looking into like spring, summer of 2021, fall of 2021. So I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> are you <laughs> going wait. into the office or are you mostly working from home? No, we're working from home. We're working remotely. Um, you know, some of our event producers, um, production managers are popping in and out 
even just to accept things like deliveries, right? Like if we're still working on like a client's wedding, for example, and we have save the dates coming to the office, we'll mm-hmm. go pick them up, we'll bring them home. Oh, but. literally get the invitations. Right, exactly. Yeah. We're such a strong team and everyone works well remotely. So trying to thrive as best as we can in that environment. Well, that is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's been great. It's been so great. I love working with them. And is Brian all for the, the blog at all? Is he, is he giving you ideas or? Not yet. That, I, that, I'm waiting just, for my, <laughs> I'm waiting, waiting for your my opportunity to ask him. <laughs> to ask him. I just started, um, I just started populating a page on the site called Spotlight. Um, I had mentioned my friend, Jessica Doherty, who has the True Date Project. Yeah. So she was my first interview. It felt, it felt really harmonious with, you know, the fact that we had gone to Endicott together. We yeah. graduated from hospitality management together. Um, and we had both in these last few months, like started these new business endeavors of our own to be able to have a passion project, but also to have like a kind of a side hustle in a way during this time. So I said to her, like, will you be on my blog? It's it's a brand new page, but I really want to showcase the work and wisdom of other event professionals. And it would be great to have you on. And she was like, yes, of course, no problem. So once I get a few more people on there, I'm working my way up. I'm definitely going to knock on Brian's door and say, will you? He's <laughs> fine. So I'm waiting for that opportunity. I'm sure it'll come soon. Well, feel free to call me anytime you want if you want me to. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. Tell everyone when, where they could follow you. Sure. So it's allthebestmoments.com. Mm-hmm. It's my planning and lifestyle blog. And you can find me on Instagram at Caitlin Donaldson. Everybody's always spelling Caitlin their own way these days. Like if there's two I's, there's a C, there's a Y, it's all over the map. So Caitlin, K-A-I-T-L-I-N. Thank you for having me, Jeff. You're welcome. Thanks for being a guest. Absolutely. Well, episode 70. Done. Done. Cut. Wrap. Concluded. Cut the wrap. (laughs) Thanks, Doug. Talk to you soon. Okay, cool. Bye. She is delightful, right? Certainly someone to watch for over the next couple of years in terms of rising stars in the event industry. Thanks, Caitlin. As usual, you can follow me on Instagram at Doug Winters, Inc., you can check out my new website at DougWintersMusic.com. And as always, please stay safe, stay strong. We'll get through this together, I promise. Okay, bye-bye.